Hi there. How you doing? Great to see you. Great to see you. Hey, if I can ask this question real quick. Did you know there's a game today? Right. You heard about that? Right. Uh, any Patriots fans? Can I ask that? All right. Uh, Giant fans? All right. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. You know, the Giants going to get killed in my story here. So just just saying, just saying. Pretty sure that's what's going to happen later. Um, I grew up in Boston. I'm a big uh, Patriots fan. And um, after what happened a couple years ago, I am expecting total destruction and nothing less uh, will make me happy. Um, in fact, the guys in the band were just saying, because I had some of the guys in the band at my house a couple years ago, and they're like, remember the big Super Bowl party? And Pastor Mark's like, I've been to a lot of parties at Bob's house. That, this was the best party he ever threw, was the perfect season and the whole thing. And then they lost at the very end, and, and uh, Alex plays guitar. I've, I've known Alex for like 20 years. And he says, I just remember the very end when you just let go of the Patriots balloons. At the end, it was like letting go of destiny. And it was really quite sad. It went from a really cool party to like a funeral really fast. Um, anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. I just, anyway. Um, I have a daughter who's five. And uh, she had a, she got invited to a birthday party for, with, uh, from a friend of hers from class. So my wife, and, um, who was pregnant at the time, uh, my wife, my daughter who's five, my two and a half year old son went to the party. And at this party, they won uh, goldfish. And so Carrie calls me and says, hey, they won goldfish. I'm like, oh, that's great. They're, they're delicious. And she's like, no, not those kind of goldfish, like goldfish, water, and a fish tank kind of goldfish. Now, she called me because I have a no pets policy in my house. Um, and uh, so I wasn't like real happy about it. But what do you say once the kids win the goldfish? I mean, then what do you do? So I said, all right. Um, so I just did. I, I was not excited about it simply because they have this you know, um, you know, goldfish are notoriously, they have a very short lifespan. So I just didn't want to get into the whole, why did Jesus kill my fish? I didn't want to have that conversation. And, um, but the kids got to keep the goldfish in their room. They got to learn how to feed the goldfish. You can only feed the goldfish one time a day or you're going to kill them. And um, so, you know, I go in there and Xander's like, you know, feeding them the equivalent of like, you know, a, a smorgasbord feast. And my kid... Once a day, you know, so trying to do that. And uh, <clears throat> so my daughter just loves the goldfish, though. She names the goldfish princess. She starts talking to the goldfish um, every day. I mean, every day she's talking to the fish. Uh, she gets it on Saturday. So Sunday morning she wakes up and she's getting dressed for church. And she says, princess, I'm going to church. You've never been to church before. Church is where we learn about God and we learn about Jesus and how he loves us. And, and um, now, and Jesus died for us. And now she's preaching the gospel to the fish. And, um, and so anyway, so she's got the, this whole, you know, so she loves the goldfish and this whole thing. And, uh, you know, and we were told the goldfish would probably last about a month. And my strategy was, I'm just going to keep replacing this goldfish every few weeks. So this will be like the eternal living goldfish. And that's kind of my plan, you know, is to do this. Well, two days later, the goldfish dies. And uh, I was not prepared for this two days later, tears, devastation, you know, funeral service. We had to do funeral service. So we had we go into the into the kids bathroom and, you know, you were a good goldfish and we know that you're in fish heaven, wherever that is. And, you know, and so we into the toilet burial at sea, you know, how that goes. And um, and uh, so then we we flush 
the goal, we flush Princess down, and then we pray and ask God for help. And uh, we all, I also silently pray, God, please don't let Xander's fish die. Um, next day, Xander's fish croaks. Um, and, you know, Xander's crying. And it, so we another funeral service. I mean, I just kept the suit on because we got to do another funeral service and pray for our family. And then I overhear as we walk out, I overhear my daughter, my five year old daughter trying to console my two and a half year old son, which I wish I had that on video. And she puts his hand on the shoulder like, Zan, Zan, we call him Zan Zan uh, at home. Zan Zan, it's okay. Um, it'll be all right. You know, your fish. I don't even know if the fish had a name. I think the name's, the fish's name may have been Fish. Um, and uh, Fish is in heaven and the whole thing. And he won't stop crying. And so then Mia is going through like her whole repertoire of like comforting sayings, which is only like three things. And then she starts to get frustrated that he won't stop crying. And so she's like, Xander, it's okay. It's okay. And then finally she just grabs him. She's like, Xander, stop being such a baby about this. You know, and, and I said, I step in. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, what's wrong? What's wrong, friends? Okay, let's split up. And, uh, you know, so I'm trying to calm these kids down. And then Xander finally calms down. I turn to Mia and I'm like, Mia, thank you for trying in the beginning. Not so great on the end. But let's let's just agree that you'll never go into counseling as a profession because uh, this ain't going to work out for you because listening to the problems of other people does not seem to be like your forte. Um, now, I don't know if you ever had that moment where you realize that there's a thing that you're just not good at and uh, you're put in the position of trying to have to be good at it and you just it just all the more, you know, you realize like I'm really not good at this thing. Uh, but then there's this other moment. When there's something that's seemingly very difficult, but you make it look easy. Because you have a gifting, you have an ability to do something given to you by God, that now it's like, wow, that should be really hard, but you make it look so easy. Why is that? Simply because um, there, there, there's a gifting. And, and, and listen, it's gifting and calling, but there's a difference between calling and trying. Have you, have you noticed that? Let's see, like, trying is what happens when I go into the kitchen to try to cook anything for my kids. Two days ago, my wife says, can you heat up mac and cheese for the kids? Um, my son is obsessed with the movie Cars, so he only eats Cars mac and cheese. Not just regular mac and cheese. It has to be in the shape of Lightning McQueen and Mater or he ain't going to touch it. So I ha- we made some, and so then we heated. There was some there, so we heated up the Cars mac and cheese. Anyway, I burned the Cars mac and cheese. He trying to heat up the burnt mac and cheese. Carrie's like, I don't, how do you even burn Mac and cheese trying to heat it up. I'm like, I don't know, but I almost set this house on fire just now. And um, my wife, on the other hand, has an amazing culinary ability. She, we can take, she can take nothing and turn it into like an amazing meal. And, and, and yet that's the difference between calling and trying. And, and, and listen, it, it's, there's this thing that happens when a person who's called and gifted to do something intersects with the opportunity to do what it is that they're called to do. That's the amazing thing about the body of Christ is that we have this opportunity. Now, there's so many of us, so many gifts, so many opportunities that we can actually take the gifting that we have. It intersects with an opportunity. And now there's this amazing moment where we're operating within our gifts to do what God has called us to do. But one of the things that God calls us to do by his grace is not only call us to defeat the giants and slay the giants in our lives, But he also gifts us by his spirit the weapons by which to defeat the giants. 
You see, we're concluding a series of teachings that we started a few weeks ago that we're calling Giant Killer. And the whole idea is, and most of us know the story of David and Goliath. If you're new, spoiler alert, David kills Goliath. I mean, that's what happens. So if you don't know, like, ah, I can't believe you spoiled it. Sorry, that's what happens. David kills Goliath. But see, so most of us know the story. But what most of us don't know is the backstory. So while we've heard the story of David and Goliath, we've missed the backstory that made David step into the valley of Elah, the, na- the natural next step in his relationship with God. And in this series, we've talked about two different backstories. There's the backstory of preparation, where David had fought the lion and the bear, and so he said, this Philistine will be no different. It was just the natural progression of what God was doing in his life. And then we talked about the story of the backstory of diligence, how he was someone who simply obeyed his father's voice, did what God was calling him to do whenever he was called to do it. But see, there's another story that I want to tell you, another backstory in the story of David, and that is the story of calling. The story of calling, the story of gifting, where God now called David to be the champion and king of Israel long before he had met David in the Valley of Elam. Now, here's why this is important to you and important to me, is because God has called you as well. He has a special calling and a unique calling in your life, in my life. And if you're a Christian, here's what's amazing, is that God does have something special and unique for you. The Bible says this, in 2 Timothy 1, in your notes, it says, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his, his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But there's two issues that happens in our lives when it comes to this idea of what has God called me to do? What has God gifted me to do? What am I supposed to do? You see, there's, there's two issues. There's the one of who has God called me to be? And then there's the issue of what has God called me to do? As people, we tend to obsess about number two. What has God called me to do? And everything that we think about is what has God called me to do? But there's something else that happens. And that is the first thing is who has God called me to be? And what we're going to see in David's life is that God is so very interested in who this young man is becoming long before he actually tells David to start doing something. And that's the thing that's important for us that we're going to look at. So I'd op- invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's where we're going to be. If you have your smartphone, open that app up to uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, where we're going to begin. But the idea is this, is that there's a person that God wants us to be, that he's calling us to be. And that's what we're going to see in these first few verses. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, for I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears that he will kill me? But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did as the Lord said and went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, when we talk about the calling of a giant killer. Let me give you the first thing that we're going to know. Three things we're going to note. Here's the first one. That the calling of God, number one, is based on grace. It's based on grace. Please note, but we're going to look at this in a moment. David was not the biggest. He was not the strongest. He was not the best per se. Instead, it was a calling not based on what he had done. It was a calling based on grace. Now, let me, if I can, define grace, because sometimes we think of grace, mercy, forgiveness, and and, and it can get a little bit confused. But let me define grace if I can. Um, There was a time that we had two campuses. We had a campus here. We had a campus in Miami Lakes. And uh, those of you that remember that that far back. And um, what I would do is I would teach a 10 o'clock service here. Then I would be done teaching. I'd go off stage. I'd get into my car. By the, and so I'd be back on the highway by the time this, this service was over. I would drive down uh, to Miami Lakes to the high school that we met there. And I would um, and I do two services there. Now, the way that we had this timed out is that I would get there during the last song uh, or right before the, the start of the last song uh, in, in, in Miami Lakes. So, I mean, I had like very I had a very brief window in which to get there. Now, one day uh, I was here and I went a little long. Now, I know that that's shocking to many of you that I would go long while teaching. But I did happen to go a little bit long. And so I had to make up a little bit of time when I was driving. So I I don't like to call it speeding. I like to call it motivated driving, which is what I was doing. So I'm driving a little bit motivated. And then when I say motivated, I'm doing about 55 in the 30. Okay. And uh, but it's for the Lord. So it's okay. And uh, so, but unfortunately, the police officer that stopped me did not feel the same way that I did. So I'm stopped. I'm already running a couple minutes late. Um, so I'm sending a text to Pastor Mark, who back then he would keep his phone on him. And it would just be like, you know, go longer, another chorus or 10, you know, something like that. Um, and so he would know. And um, so the police officer, you know, license registration. And then he asks me with the, the question that just drives me crazy when they ask. I said, do you know why I pulled you over? No, I don't. Really? What? I'm, du- I'm doubling the speed limit. What could it be? I know you want to know where I bought my car. Well, let me tell you where, you know, it wasn't that. So he goes, yes, officer, I know. And then uh, he says, well, you know, uh, uh, yes, I'm, 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 I said, I know I'm speeding. I said, but I have a really good reason which I'm sure he's heard that before. I said, you see that high school down there? I said, I'm a pastor, and I'm running late for church. And I mean, literally, I need to be on stage uh, teaching in about five minutes. So if we could hurry this along, this would be really good. But ex- well, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I said all that to him, but I didn't quite say it like that. It was more like, it was a little more along those lines. And uh, so I tell him all this, and he just starts laughing. And then he says, well, I'll be right back. And honestly, to this day, I have no idea. I have friends who are police officers. I need to ask them this. I have no idea what police officers do when they say, I'll be right back. They go back into their car. I think they just hang out. Like, let's let this guy sweat it for a minute. So he's just hanging out. Then he comes back. He's still laughing. And he says, all right, pastor, slow down and don't ever speak. Never again. Never again. God bless you. Uh, and so anyway, so I, I leave now. That is the definition of mercy, right? It's, mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
What I deserved was a big fat ticket. And what he gave, he just said, no, nah, uh, he didn't give me what I deserved. Now, if he had said, you know, you're a pastor, you're Pastor Bob, right? Uh, yeah. OK, well, here, I have a check for five thousand dollars for your church's building program. See, now that would become grace because grace is getting what you don't deserve. So mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. That's the issue here that we're that we're looking at. God chooses David and it's based on grace. It's not because he necessarily deserved to be chosen because he deserved to be the one anointed king of Israel. No, he, God chooses him based on grace. You see, I want you to think about this. If the prophet of God, I mean, this is the most respected person in Israel, Samuel, says, Jesse, I want you to come to the sacrifice that I'm doing. I want you to bring all your sons. And he brings all of his sons. They all pass before the Lord. And they say, God says, no, that's not the one. And he says, hold on. Do you have any other kids? I mean, you would think if, if someone said to you, someone very, very respected, you know, I want you to bring all of your sons. Would you leave one or two out? No, you'd, they said bring all your kids. You'd bring all your kids. He brings all his kids except one. Because he's like, surely, I mean, he's out there keeping the sheep. It's not going to matter if I only bring seven out of eight, right? No, but instead what happens is, is that he, he shows up and he says, well, what's the deal? Are you missing somebody? Well, you know, there's the little guy, but, you know, but the, the young guy... Uh, well, what happens? What happens is God shares with Samuel this important truth. Samuel is so overtaken by uh, Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, that he says, surely this is the guy. This is the Lord's anointed. I mean, this is the one. But he says to Samuel, to Samuel, he says, listen, don't look like how people look. People look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I mean, why does God do it that way? Why does God do it by grace and not by performance. You see, let me read you what the Bible says. It says, in, 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 it's in your notes, it's in 1 Corinthians 1. It says this. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things that are despised, God has chosen. And the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Paul says that God chooses by grace so that no man can boast. That if what God gives you is actually a gift, then pride is completely taken out of the question. And now the key is to take the gifts that God has given us and now to do something with them. You see, outwardly, you would have wanted David's older brother. He looked like Saul. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He was big and strong. This is the guy. But this is not the guy whom David, or the one whom God picked. Culturally, this is the one whom you would have picked. Culturally, in Israel at that time, the eldest brother, the eldest son, got everything when it came to inheritance. Maybe there was a little something for the second oldest, the third oldest. Once you got down to eight sons, the eighth son, his only inheritance was you're going to serve your brother for the rest of your life. But throughout the scriptures, God does something amazing, and that is he flips that over completely. And the one whom shouldn't be chosen is the one whom God decides to choose. And why is that? But the one who should inherit nothing, God calls them, and instead they are the ones that are called to do great things. Because my friend... Becoming a giant killer begins in the heart. Doing great things for God is something that begins in the heart, in the place of total surrender and devotion to the Lord. That's where we begin to slay the Goliaths 
of our lives. In fact, in Acts chapter 13, when they're recounting Israel's history, Paul says these words. He says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. Now, why, if we can ask this, why is the heart so important? Why is the heart so important compared to actions being so important? And that's because everything in our lives flows from the heart. Everything we say and do flows from the heart. Everything that we want and desire flows from the heart. The heart is the root. You see, the fact is, is that there are issues in our lives that we would look at in ourselves and others and say, uh, I mean, these are external issues, right? These are actions. These are decisions. But see, the Bible would actually say that they are heart issues. They have to do with the condition of our heart. Jesus would say it this way, it's in your notes in Matthew 15, but the things that come out of a person's mouth uh, from, uh, come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false slander, uh, false testimony, slander. You see, most of us would look at those things and say, those are physical actions, decisions that were made. Jesus looks on it and says, that is the natural thing that happens when there's an issue of the heart. I mean, murder? Really? We look at murder and we say that that's an issue of the heart. No, no, no. That's an, that's an issue of, that's a decision, that's an action. No, here's what Jesus says. No, it starts in the heart. There's anger that's unchecked. There's malice that's unchecked. There's rage that never gets dealt with. There's unforgiveness that just begins to pile up and just morph itself and distort itself to where now a person feels that acting on that and making a decision on that and harming someone else is the only natural thing to do. You see, David became the champion of Israel, the killer of giants, um, Long before he actually went into the valley. No, he went in because he was a man after God's heart, because that's where it began. You want to be a giant killer? Then can I tell you this? Guard your heart above all else. I put the passage in your notes in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Well, what happens in the story? Look at verse 8. It says this. It says, and so Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse called Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made all of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, well, there remains the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. So we sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took a horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now if you pause there and give me your attention. Here's the second thing I want you to note about the call of God. The call of God is based on grace. Number two, the call of God is a picture of the future. It's a picture of the future. I want you to notice something, and I always think about this, what it would have been like to be, have Samuel, the prophet of God, anoint you to be king. And then, I mean, what do you do? 
God has chosen you to be king. I mean, do you let the current king know? Do you send him a certified letter? Hey, sorry to hear about the loss of your position. But I just want you to know, clear out your stuff by the end of the week. We'll have security come by. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you do? But instead, he's called by God to be king. And then he goes back to the field to keep the sheep. He goes back to playing the harp for his boss, who is the current king. He goes back to being the armor bearer to the, the current king. But see, sometimes what happens is this, is that God will call us, but it's not something that's going to happen right now. It's a picture of what we're becoming. It's a picture of where it is that we're going. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, we, we miss this, especially as people, we, we think, if God's called me to this, then it's got to be right now, or it's not going to happen. Or sometimes God will, will call you, and then there's a season of preparation. There's a season of, of, of learning. There's a season where we have to be diligent and faithful before we get the opportunity to do what we know we've been called to do. Um, my daughter, I, I told you, she just turned five on Monday. And um, with my, uh, our youngest, my daughter Olivia, who was born almost six weeks ago, she, uh, we, bought, we sold our car and we bought a minivan. We've now become one of those families. Um, and so, but we had one to get like a third row because we've got car seats and all that stuff. And so we, because me as the biggest, we put her in the back. And so, uh, but what happens is I thought it would be easier for her to put on her seatbelt. And so now, um, I've got to open the trunk, uh, like the back, I've got to go in and then help her with the seatbelt and click it in. And so this is like a big thing. And now, and I'm like throwing my back out, trying to reach in and get the seatbelt and pull the other thing and finally click it in and all this and and then um on monday which is my 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 daughter's birthday um she uh she says uh, i'm taking her to school i take mia to school every day but um she says papi can we take mommy's car the van i said sure so we hop in the van i open up the trunk and i'm going to put her in and she goes click mia what happened oh i can do it all by myself now How's that? Because, Poppy, I'm five. I'm a big girl now. Mia, can I ask you a question? Did you know how to do that yesterday? Yes. How about last week? Yes. Mia, are you trying to tell me that this whole time that we've had this van, you've known how to clip the seatbelt in the whole time? Yes, Poppy. Why didn't you just do it? Because when you're four, you need help. But now I'm five. I'm a big girl. I don't need help anymore. And I'm like, I've been killing myself back here, Mia. Just trying to get the thing in. Don't you see how much I was struggling? Yes, but Bobby, when you're four, you need help. Now I'm five. I'm a big girl. Now I'm okay. And, and I, I'm telling you, you know, I'm happy now. I wasn't happy right that moment. But I'm telling you, can I, can I just tell you this? That there is a pic. My, my daughter just had a, she had a, a picture of the future for her. That when she turned five, and she does this all the time with so much stuff that I'm like, you know, you should be able to do this already. And now she's doing all this stuff. And she says, Bobby, I don't need help anymore. I'm a big girl now. And it's like, it doesn't matter like what it is for most things. Um, it's like, I can do this now. I'm a, I'm a big girl. Because she has a, there's a picture of the future for her. And for whatever reason, she decided that when she's five, she'll be able to do all this stuff herself. Um, David, uh, Samuel anoints David to be king. And it's, it's, it's just a picture of what's going to happen in the future. It's not what's going to happen immediately. And listen, it's where God is ultimately going to lead him if he is faithful to follow him. 
and to become the person that God ultimately wants him to be. Same thing is true with us. Can I tell you this? Um, those of you more familiar with the Old Testament, um, when, when God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he calls him the father of many nations. The only problem is he doesn't have any kids. And he's like, and at one point, he's like, you call me the father of many nations. You know, I don't have any kids. I'm childless. The guy who's going to inherit all my stuff is a servant of mine. And he keeps saying, yeah, yeah, but you're the, you're the father of many nations. Well, how is that? I don't even have one child, much less a nation, much less nations. But see, it wasn't a picture of what was going to happen then. It was a picture of the future. When God calls a guy by the name of Gideon, Gideon was so afraid of this group of people that were called the Midianites that he was actually, um, he was hiding in this threshing floor, which was basically at that time like a hole in the ground, um, trying to get a little bit of food, but he was so afraid that the Midianites were going to come in and take all of his food. He's hiding in a hole in the ground. The angel of God appears and says, how you doing, mighty man of valor? Scaredy cat. You know, it's like, uh, he's this guy, he's totally wimped out, he's hiding in a hole because he doesn't want anybody to find him. God shows up and calls him a mighty man of valor. Like, in, if I were reading that in a different way, I would think that that was a joke. Um, you know, and, and yet, what is it? It's a picture of the future. He's not so mighty right now, but he will be. It's a picture of what happens when God calls a man, and, and that man is, follows the Lord with all of his heart. And, and it's just, it becomes a picture of what it is that God is going to do in his life. And the same thing is true for you, and the same thing is true for me. You know what God calls you and I? God calls us priests. A holy nation. Now you might look on and say, I don't feel real holy and I don't feel real priestly. But you know, according to God, God has called you to be that by His grace. In fact, let me read it to you in, in, second, in 1 Peter 1, verse 9. It says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For He has called you out of darkness into His wonderful Light. My friends, what is a priest? A priest is a spiritual leader. That's what you and I are. Husbands, can I tell you this? That you are the priest, the pastor of your home. Our responsibility is simply to, draw, to, to lead our families and draw them closer to Jesus. Christian, can I tell you this? That your calling by God is to be a spiritual leader in your workplace. To be an example of what it means to follow Jesus in your work, your school, your friends, your circle of influence. And you say, oh, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, you might not be there yet. But once again, it's not a picture of your, this, this verse is not a picture of your present. It's a picture of your future, of where God ultimately wants to lead you and where he wants you to be. Because it's a picture of who you can become by the grace of God as you grow in him. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because we've covered in previous weeks um, where David, now Goliath makes his claim. Then they go into um, everybody's afraid. They're going to, you know, what's going to happen? David hears the, um, the, the claims of Goliath and what he's saying about God, what he's saying about God's people. David has now made a decision to go into the valley and fight Goliath. And I'm going to fast forward there to chapter 17, verse 38, which is where we're going to begin. And I want you to see the last thing that we're going to note about the call of God. It says this, it says in verse 38, it says, So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for, for he had not tested them, 
And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. If you pause there and give me your attention. And here's the third thing I want to tell you about the call of God. And that is that the call of God is a unique call. It's a unique call. That God calls a person to do something at a particular period of time in their life or for their life. And listen, Saul tries to make David match Goliath by giving him his armor. And David, being so wise, realizes that you don't defeat Goliath by becoming like Goliath. He's like, well, he's got a helmet. Well, David, we're going to give you a helmet. He's got a coat of mail. We're going to give you a coat of mail. He's got armor. We're going to give you armor. David says, no, 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 that's not going to work for me. I haven't tested these things. Instead, what he does is he realizes, listen, I'm not an armor guy. I'm a five smooth stones guy. And listen, why does, why does David take five smooth stones? Can I, a couple of reasons. But one, uh, I'll give you the first one. The first is this. Um, He's taking five smooth stones because he knows that Goliath has four brothers. So he's like, I'm going to use one on this guy, and if his brothers come, they're each going to get a stone as well. Um, The second thing is this, and there's another reason. Um, As an observant Jew, David would be wearing what are called the seedzi. Um, That is the tassels that that, uh, uh, Orthodox Jews wear. Um, uh, if you're taking notes, it's T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. If you're from the South, that's, what is that? T-Z-Z-I-T. Um, so uh, so he, uh, he's wearing the tzitzi. Now, the tzitzi are the tassels, um, and every observant Jew would be wearing them, according to Numbers chapter 15. But the tassels, uh, they weren't just regular tassels. They were tassels that were tied in five knots. And the five knots were indicative of the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And so every time... And, uh, you know, whenever you go out and you see someone, you know, you see an Orthodox Jew wearing the tassels and you see them kind of waving around. And the whole idea is that every time they're walking and they just kind of rub up against the tassels, it's a reminder that God's law is with them. And in turn, the spirit of God is with them, that, that God himself is with them. And so it's just this, this constant reminder. And listen, and so David takes five smooth stones as a reminder that God is with him. And in the verses that we're going to read, he's going to note that. Because sometimes some people might think, isn't it weird that he just goes in with a slingshot and five stones? Listen, um, in that culture, in that time, a slingshot was, uh, using a slingshot was a skill in battle that people used, that some in Israel had. I put in your notes a passage from uh, the book of Judges, chapter 20, um, which is just a generation before uh, David's. And here's what it says. It says, among Benjamin's elite troops. 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit it, the target, within a hair's breadth without missing. So there was this group of people that were really, really skilled with a slingshot. And I don't know why we wouldn't think that David would be a man who was skilled with a slingshot. He says, hey, I can't use this armor. It's not what I'm used to. Let me take the slingshot, which is what I'm used to, which is how I've had victory before. And so David brings his unique gifting, what he's good at, his talent, into the battle. And here's what happens. Look at verse 41. And this is really the, the meat of the story. It says, And so the Philistine came and, became, uh, and, and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore his shield went before him. And when David the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Then all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And so David, therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheet and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, if you pause there for a moment, this is the this is the this is the place where the preparation, our preparation and the power of God meet. And listen, the challenge that we have sometimes is how do we trust? How do we prepare for what God has for us without trusting in our preparation, but instead trusting in the power of God. Listen, can I tell you what that really is? I believe it's by realizing that we aren't David in the story. Sometimes we read the story and we say, I'm going to slay giants, I'm going to do this, because God wants me to be David in the story. Can I tell you this? You and I aren't David in the story. What happens um, in, in America especially is that we get... Um, in the West, we get, we get caught up in us being the hero of the story. And, uh, we're, but we're not the hero of the story. I was explaining this to my daughter the other day. We were talking about the gospel. Um, we were just talking about how Jesus died for us and why Jesus died for us. And um, she was asking about why Jesus had to die. And, and, um, and I, uh, I was trying to explain it to her in a way that kind of made, made sense to her that she could really relate to. And um, my daughter loves Star Wars, if you're not aware, but she loves Star Wars. And so I said, um, I said, Mia, who is your favorite character? If you could be in Star Wars, who would you say that you were? She'd say, oh, I'd want to be Princess Leia and you could be Luke Skywalker. I said, "Okay." I said, but what if I told you that in the story we actually aren't Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker? We're actually Darth Vader. (gasps) No, no, no. I don't want to be the bad guy. I want to be the good guy. I said, but, but listen, what if we actually were the bad guy? And I said, remember when Adam and Eve, remember that story when, when they did what they weren't supposed to do? They ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, and um, they, they, they turned from God, and they sinned against God? Yes. I said, they were making a decision to go from good to evil um, in, in that. They were turning from God into something else. And I said, you remember, I said, you know, you know, Star Wars, what, what happens? Anakin Skywalker makes a decision, right? He goes from good to the dark side. Oh, yeah. Ooh, evil, you know. And so she's, she's totally tracking with me as we're, as we're telling the story. And I said, he makes a decision from good to evil. And I said, but you know, you know the story, what happens, right? That there's a son who's born. 
And the son now is able to save Darth Vader from evil and bring him back to good, isn't he? And I said, see, that's, that's you and me. And I said, see, what happened to you and me is that we made the same way that our great-great-great-grandparents, you know, um, Adam and Eve made, made a, a decision to, to, to turn to evil and, 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 and turn away from God. Because we've sinned, we've all made that decision. I said, but the Son was born, the Son of God was born, and He died for us, and He rose again from the dead so that we can be saved to turn us from evil to good into a right relationship with God. And I'm telling you, the challenge that she had is the challenge that I think all of us have, and that is that we read a story like this and we think, well, God wants us to be the hero of the story. And we've got to kind of muster up all this stuff so that we can be the hero of the story. And my friends, we're not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. Um, So who are we? You see, we're the soldiers in the story who didn't want to go fight Goliath. We're King Saul who was too afraid to fight Goliath because we realized that we don't have the power to defeat him. My friends, that's why we, need, we needed a champion, a savior, who will fight the battle on our behalf. Who will allow us to, listen, partner with him as he defeats the Goliaths in our lives. That's why in a later story, in a later battle in the book of Second Chronicles, it would be said, God would say this, as thus the Lord says to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You know that David essentially says those same words. In verse 47, he says, for the battle, the Lord does not save with the sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You see, my friends, Jesus is the hero of the story. He is David in the story. He's the greater than David in the story. He is the one who defeats Goliath. He is the one who gives us victory in our lives. Because I want you to notice something, and this is just like a huge idea. David wasn't fighting for Israel. He was fighting as Israel. Remember how how it worked? That David, uh, that the Philistine came out, Goliath, and he would say... um, why don't, instead of all of us fighting, you send out your champion and I will be the champion for the Philistines. And if your champion can defeat me, then we will serve Israel. But if I can defeat your champion, then all of Israel will serve us. You see, he wasn't fighting for Israel. Goliath wasn't fighting for the Philistines. They were fighting as Israel, as the Philistines, because the outcome of the battle would affect everyone. My friends, this is what the Bible teaches This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about the cross. That the work of one affects all. There's a theological term for that. It's called imputation. That God imputes the righteousness, the work of one person for the sake of all people. This is the very thing that happened in the story of David. Because what we sometimes miss is that the story of David and Goliath is essentially the message of the gospel. Jesus died for us. And he took our place on the cross. And instead of us paying for our sins, he paid for them on our behalf. That's why you can't take this, the principles that we've been talking about and, 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 now, and think that you can have victory now over Goliath. Because you say, man, I'm going to be prepared and I'm going to be diligent and I have a call and I have abilities and gifts. Um, and, and you have all of that. But listen, you can have all of that and lack the power of God in your life. And allow the battle to be God's and allow Him to fight for you. 
That's why the Bible says this in the book of Zechariah. It's not by power or by might. It's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. My friends, the message of the story of David and Goliath is not if you're brave, God will bless you. The message of David and Goliath is not that if you just run head first to fight Goliath, that you're going to win. My friends, the message of David and Goliath is that God sent a savior, a champion, who would fight on your behalf. And the victory that he had over sin and death, when he died, when he rose again, is the victory that we can all experience. Because what he did through our faith in him now affects all of us. We can receive all of it. And listen, as we close, there might be a few here who've said, you know, I've never um, made that decision to follow Jesus. You know, I, I've, um, I've wanted, I, I know some stuff about God. Maybe you grew up going to church. Maybe you, you grew up knowing some things. Maybe you had a parent or grandparent that told you some things about God. But there's a difference between knowing things about God and knowing God. That as we talk about forgiveness and grace and peace and the Lord fighting for us, you say, I, I don't know what that is. Experiencing God's presence, I, I don't know what that is. Even though there's some things I know about Him, I don't, I don't know Him. And can I tell you this, that God wants to radically change your life. God wants to forgive you of your past. God wants to give you peace in the present. And he wants to give you a future and a hope. But my friends, that begins by saying that I need a savior, a champion who died for me and who's, who rose again from the dead and who freely offers us forgiveness, eternal life and hope. My friends, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus offers to us. And if you're here and you say, today's my day, how do I do it? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That no person who calls in the name of the Lord, that he will cast out. Instead, if you're here and you will call on God, that he will hear, that he will act, and that he will begin from this moment working and changing your life. My friends, it's an amazing offer that the Lord offers to us. So what do I have to do? You simply have to receive it. As we close, we're going to pray in just a moment. And if you're interested, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now listen, the prayer is not a magic formula. And they might be my words, but here's what I pray, is that they are actually the words that your heart wants to say to God. And listen, a prayer prayed in sincerity, God will hear and God will act and God will begin to change your life. Let's pray together. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you don't leave us to face the giants. But instead, instead, Lord, you've called us, you've told us that you are willing to fight the battle on our behalf. So God, in this moment, with those who are ready to make a decision to follow you, May this be the moment that changes everything. Listen, if you're ready and you want to make that decision with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud. And just say, Dear God, I invite you in to my life. I thank you for Jesus who died for me, that I might have eternal life. I want to walk with you 
starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen.